Isn't that good to know? Boy, we live in a day of uncertainty. And yet, it's good to know that Jesus cares about us. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, if you have your Bibles this morning, please. I can't help but think this morning of the people of Afghanistan. Listen, don't, don't get confused. I, I have often done the same thing. We hear of a place like Afghanistan, and our mind goes to a place 20 years ago that attacked, attacked the World Trade Center and 9-11, and we think of a terrorist-type place. That's just a small minority. There's a lot of people there that are lost and dying and going to hell every day that need Jesus Christ. They're caught, caught in the grips of Islam. But then there's also a lot of Christians there. People that love the Lord Jesus Christ and are giving their lives just to go to church. I read a little meme this week, and it might have oversimplified it, but it said, in Afghanistan, we will go to church even if it means giving our lives. In North America, it says, we will go to church unless there's a ball game or a barbecue. Or... And then we think about our freedom, and, and our freedom becomes licensed to do whatever we like, and, and uh, we, don't, we aren't faithful to the Lord sometimes as a result. And when we think of Afghanistan today, I don't want you to think about those wicked Taliban that are taking over. We understand uh, that's straight from the pits of hell. We understand that. But let's pray for those people. The Christians that are there, the churches that are in hiding and, and being fearing for their very lives today, uh, young girls being taken at 12 and 13 years old and married off and raped. It's just a horrible, horrible, horrible situation. And so let's pray for them today. And let's hope. Let's, let's hope and pray that they can sing that song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. That despite all that's going on, they can know his love. Isn't it funny how a little perspective changes our thinking? We, we've done nothing but for 18 months but complain about our government. How many of you are thankful you live in Canada today? How many of you are glad you can sit in church and nobody's busting down our doors? Nobody's raping our girls or killing our people? A little perspective. And we're not perfect, that's for sure. But I'm sure thankful that I'm here in the house of God today. And that we can open up a Bible. Tonight, if the Lord would let me, I'm going to preach a message entitled, How to Vote in the Next Federal Election. I throw that out as a teaser. You know I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, right? I didn't say who, I said how. And uh, so I put out a little email this morning. I thought, that'll bother some people to think I'm going to get up and name names. I'm not. <laughs> so I'm just trying to tease you a little bit. But I want to show a biblical perspective of what we are looking for. How, how are we as Christians supposed to vote? And we go all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 13, and we see what a wicked king will do. 
and how God can redeem a people. And so we're going to look at that tonight, if the Lord is willing, 2 Kings chapter 13. But this morning, look at Revelation chapter 5. I've titled this message, I'm not very good at titles, but I've titled it, The Book in the Hand of God. The Book in the Hand of God. And the reason I titled it that is because it says it right there in the first verse. And I'm not very good at finding titles. But you know, it's never about a book. It's about the God of the book. It's about who wrote that book. I want you to look at some things today from Revelation chapter 5. And it's my prayer and my hope that at the end of the message, there will be a reminder for us. An encouragement, if you will, that would help us to understand a little bit more of what God is doing in our world today. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5. We'll read the entire chapter. It's just 14 verses, and uh, we'll be to the end of the chapter very quickly. Revelation chapter 5, and let's read together. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. Now, for the sake of time, for just a moment, would you just trust me when I say the one sitting upon the throne is God Almighty? Can you trust me with that? I will prove it to you in a moment. We'll go back to chapter 4 uh, when we get into the message. But just, for, just so that when we're reading it, we have a context. It's God. How many of you know when you get to heaven, nobody else gets to sit on the throne? That Antichrist will walk into the city of Jerusalem and he'll sit down upon the throne and it'll be the abomination of desolation as he just, just defiles the temple of God. But when we get to heaven, nobody sits on the throne but God. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. Hey, somebody help me. <laughs> Are you awake this morning? He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. Uh, listen, l- let me say this. When we say stuff like that in church and you amen, what we are doing is we're kicking the devil in the shins. We're telling him, hey, we have a God in heaven. We have a God on the throne and we're not afraid to sing his praises and to glorify his name. He is God. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And devil, I want you to know this, that the Bible says that the death and hell will give up their dead and whosoever is not found in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. But you know who's already there? It's the devil and the false prophet and the antichrist who've been cast in the lake of fire. That's where you're headed, devil. And we have a king and we have a God that sits upon his throne. And that's who we're talking about in chapter 5, verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Let me summarize that. Nobody, nobody could open the book. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book and to to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred 
and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Listen to verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth... And under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne. And of the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the wonderful picture of heaven we have just seen. We pray that you would help us to be reminded today that God is always, always, always on his throne. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we work through the scriptures, Lord, to find comfort and peace and strength in the word of God today. Lord, and we do pray for those of Afghanistan. Lord, for those that do not know Christ, we pray, Lord, that they would come to a saving knowledge during this time of persecution. Lord, that you would... Be very real to them and reveal yourself to them as their Savior. Father, we pray, Lord, that you'd be with those Christians that are there running and fighting for their lives. We pray for the young ladies being taken from their homes and auctioned off and given in marriage. Just so many tragedies taking place. We pray that the almighty hand of God would sustain them. Father, we do understand that this is not a government problem. This is not a terrorist problem. It is a heart problem. Hearts that do not know Jesus Christ, but could be forever changed by the Holy Spirit of God if they would just bow the knee and confess Him right now before it's eternally too late. Father, for those that are us here today enjoying our freedoms, Lord, may we not take that for granted. Lord, we see things in our world today that that we feel like things are eroding around us. That's what the Bible said would happen, that there'd be a great falling away, that evil men shall wax worse and worse. But I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as the remnant, the children of God, to stand for truth and right. And Lord, help us, Lord, as we look at the Word of God, may the Spirit of God teach us and help us. Fill me, I surrender to you. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Picture with me this morning, if you could, walking upon the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day. The Bible says that's where John was. Not only was he walking on the island and meditating on things that God had put in his life, the Bible says this, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Before God could do this great work in his life, John was already in a close connection with God. To be in the Spirit, we understand, means to be surrendered and filled with Him. To allow Him to have complete control in our lives. And I understand that John was one of the chosen apostles. And so uh, how God worked in his life may be different than how he works in our lives. But nonetheless, any great work of God takes place once we are surrendered to His Holy Spirit and filled by Him. As John is walking that day in the Spirit, the Bible says that God caught him up into heaven. 
And we'll look at the command he gave him in just a moment. I want you to see how important it is. But I, I just want to outline some things from chapter 5. And, and as John goes into heaven, he saw some things that nobody else has ever seen. One day we will. They are prophetic in nature. In other words, they were in the future for even now. They have not yet come to pass. But one day we will hear a trumpet sound and we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with those that are surrounding the throne of God. The Bible says there are thousands and thousands and tens of thousands crying out uh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And, and you, you say, well, I just I don't like how loud church can get. Friends, you're not going to like heaven. Because they cried with a loud voice, and that was after the angels were already singing. It's incredible what heaven's going to be like. I can't the Bible often calls it the voice of many thunders. Can you imagine the crescendo of praise and, and glory that takes place in the very presence of God? And so we see that John is caught up in Revelation chapter 5 to a wondrous sight. Notice in the first four verses, he says, I saw... I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look Thereon, John is confronted with this wondrous sight. And we see, first of all, he has a vision of God's royalty. The Bible says that God was sitting upon the throne. Now, I want to go back a little bit and, and try to understand a little bit about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is divided into three parts. Now, look back in Revelation chapter 1. Turn back a couple pages. We're going to do just a little Bible study before we get to the principle that I want to give to you today. Revelation chapter 1, and look at verse 19. John is already in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he hears something behind him. And what he hears is the Lord saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And then again he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And then down in verse 17, the Lord speaks again. Fear not, I am the first and the last. Three times he has told John, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. I'm the first and the last. And now again, the first and the last. He has told them three times and he says, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. Now we know who he's talking about. Jesus Christ. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death, of hell, and of death. Now, verse 19 gives us the key. Write the things which thou hast seen. Those things which thou hast seen. And the things which are. And the things which shall be hereafter. So we look back at the first part of Revelation, and that's what John has seen. He's on the Isle of Patmos. The Lord comes to him, and he gives a description of what God looks like. He sees this great image of God. Later on, he will say, now write the things which are, and he writes the letters to the seven churches. And now we get to Revelation chapter 4. We see a vision. I'm talking about a vision of God's royalty. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. After this... 
I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be. What's that next word? Somebody help me. Make sure you're awake this morning. Hereafter. Now, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 gave us three things, didn't it? The things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be what? Hereafter. So we've seen the things that are, we've seen the things which shall be, and now he's moving in chapter 4, verse 1, to the things which are hereafter. He tells us that, plain out, doesn't he? He says, the heavens opened up like a door in heaven. A trumpet sounds, the voice of an angel sounds like a trumpet. And he says, come up hither, and I'll show you the things that are hereafter. I'm going to show you those things we were talking about back in verse 19 of chapter 1. And notice the very first thing John gets to see when he goes to heaven. And immediately I was in the Spirit, verse 2, and behold a what? throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne a lot of people have said that revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is a picture of the rapture i don't know that i can argue with that we see that it comes hereafter it is after the age of the churches we have the seven churches of revelation in chapter 2 and 3 and now we have the hereafter and that's what john is talking about He says, a door was opened into heaven, and we hear the voice of an angel. We hear the trumpet sound, and John was immediately taken up in the spirit. And the very first thing he saw was God upon his throne. I'm looking forward to seeing God one day. I'm looking forward to being in the presence of the throne room. We hear stories in John chapter 14. says, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where, I am there, that where I am, there you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And we get excited about having a heavenly home and a mansion and a place to go one day that God has prepared for us. Well, friends, I want to be at the throne. Put a vacancy sign on the mansion. I want to be around the throne of God. I want to be singing his praises. I, boy, I, I think you've noticed by now I like singing and I like music in the church. And I, I think we sang seven different hymns this morning. I love music and I like to hear God's people sing. It's nothing like heaven's going to be. The voice of thousands and thousands and ten thousands will be lifting up his name in praise. That's where I want to be. And so we see a vision of the throne, and chapter 4 gives us more about that. And the Bible says in verse 3, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within and the rest... And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when the beast 
give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. When we talk about a vision of God's royalty, it is John's very first revelation to us is the throne of God and God upon his throne. But not only that, it's not just the first revelation, it's John's final reminder. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. We're just getting through this little Bible study and then we'll get into the preaching. The Bible says in chapter 22, and he showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the streets of it, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which has bare 12 manner of fruits. And so we come to Revelation chapter uh, 4, and John is caught up into the heavens, and the very first thing he sees is the throne of God. We come to Revelation chapter 22, and the final reminder of Revelation is that God is still on his throne. Do you realize in those some 18 chapters, a lot has taken place? The wrath of God has been poured out upon Israel. For seven years, tribulation has taken place on the earth. God has realigned the nations. We have seen the Bema Sea. We have seen the great white throne judgment. We've seen the books opened in heaven. And the lake of fire has been filled up with those who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. We have seen much take place. And in seven years, God has not vacated his throne even once. He's there from beginning to end. Nobody's ever going to have to ask. During a time of tribulation, who's running this show? Because God is on his throne. Nobody's going to have to ever wonder who's in control of the chaos on this earth. Oh, we think we got chaos today. Wait till those days. Wait till the church is taken out. Wait until we are resting in heaven in the presence of God and we look down if God allows us to see through the veil and to see what is going on on earth as all hell literally breaks loose on earth as it is led by a, a wicked one, the Antichrist, from the very pits of hell. You think we have chaos today and nobody will ever wonder who's in control because in heaven we'll all look to the throne. And we'll know that God is still there. God is working out everything perfectly in his own hand, in his own timing. It's a, a wondrous sight in heaven. A vision of God's royalty, but it's also a vision of God's righteousness. Notice what the Bible says in very, the very first verse we read, chapter 5. I saw in heaven the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. Written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. In chapter 6, and we won't have the time to look there today, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, you can read about those seven seals as they are opened. As the Lamb of God, the only one found worthy, opens up one seal at a time, and God begins to pour out his wrath upon the world. Judgment has come. You say, Why? Because God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. It's, it's funny. As people of God, sometimes we, 
We wonder, God, how long are you going to withhold judgment? Will you take care of this? I am so tired of what's going on in our world. God, would you judge sin? And then when God judges sin, we go, oh, God, I didn't mean that. Well, God is right. God is righteous. He's always right. He's never wrong. And we must trust him. This book is a picture of his righteousness because it is the very word of God. It's a book of God's word. You say, that's not the Bible he's holding. No. But God still wrote it. Nobody else was worthy to open it but God. As a matter of fact, God told John the Revelator what was in it, and he recorded it in the next several chapters for us. It is the book of God. It is the book of God's word. That, that means it's not just any book. Nobody on earth was found that could open and save the lamb that was slain. It's a book of God's word, but it's a book of God's wrath. We will read in the several chapters to follow that it is God pouring out his judgment on earth. And I want to just say quickly, it's a sealed book. Nobody could open it but God. It was a strong book. They wondered who can open it, but it's not about strength. It's about who is worthy. And that brings us to the second thing. We see a wondrous sight in heaven. But I want you to see number two, there's a worthy Savior. A worthy Savior. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Oh, John was weeping. John was weeping. I, I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could stand and look at the throne of God and see this book in his hand and, and just know that that's the very judgment of God about to be poured out and weep because nobody could open it. I might be the, I might be, whew. what a relief to look in the eyes of a judging, judging God, a righteous God and a holy God pouring out his wrath would be a terrible sight. And yet when we look in those eyes, we see love and mercy and grace all at the same time. But we see in the book of Revelation a worthy savior. The Bible says in verse five, he is the lamb that prevailed. The lamb that prevailed. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the lion of the, or sorry, the lion that prevailed. Uh, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I love how the word of God gives us the very many names of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the lion that prevailed. You know that there's no more feared animal in nature than a lion. I can't think of anything else. I don't want to be in a cage with a lion to save my life. They, those things, ter- I, I remember years ago, the Enoch family who were missionaries in, in Africa, they came around a bend in their car and there was two lions fighting. I mean, they were on their hind legs and they were tearing each other apart. So he got out his, like we, we all do today, right? get out our phone and start videotaping that thing. He stayed in his car. Then near the end of that fight, those lions, they were licking their wounds and they looked at that car. And he hit the gas and got out of there. And he said later on the video, he says, my car would be like a plaything for them. They're so strong. Just tear you apart. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion that prevailed. The Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's like one. He wants to be like Christ. He wishes he had the power of Christ. He wishes he could prevail. He wishes he had his strength. But he is only like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. But Jesus Christ is the lion that prevailed. Then we see, secondly, he is the lamb that is praised. Look at the Bible says in verse 6, And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. 
as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twelve elders, listen to this, they fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. That made me laugh when I read that. He says, our prayers are like odors. I got thinking some odors smell good, but some not so good. I wonder, does God sometimes think my prayers have a stench to them? Maybe they lack faith. Maybe it's something I'm asking to consume upon my own lusts. Maybe I'm being selfish. It just says odors. It doesn't say good or bad, but it made me think. The Bible says these four and twenty elders, they fall down in verse 8. And look at what they do in verse 9. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The four and twenty elders we understand to represent the church. And here they are singing a new song. Praise is unto the Lamb. Simply, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. It's almost like a psalm. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It doesn't rhyme. But they were singing, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I want you to notice as we consider the lion that prevailed and the lamb that is praised. First of all, notice the song of his praise. As they sing in verse 9 and 10, we see, first of all, he was praised for his sacrifice. He was the lamb that was slain. Why is the Lord Jesus Christ worthy? Because he died for your sins. He stands before God having paid the price of the sins of all mankind. And for those that would faithfully put their trust in Jesus Christ, they can be born again and washed of their sins. So he's praised uh, this morning for his sacrifice. He's praised for his salvation. The Bible says, they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and what? Hast redeemed us. We're saved by that lamb. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a crescendo in a moment, but I want you to notice this wondrous sight in heaven. And the, the, right after the throne of God, we see next a worthy Savior. He is the lion that has prevailed. He is the lamb that has praised. And as they sing this song of praise, he is praised for his sacrifice. He is praised for his salvation. Verse 10, he is praised for his supply and has made us unto our God kings and priests. Have, have you realized what God has done for you? The Bible says... In the book of Ephesians, he hath made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a wonderful thing that God has done. And the Bible says he has made us to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Now hold on. We're getting somewhere with all this. We see a worthy Savior. We see the song of their praise, but I want you to notice verse 11, and 14, 11 to 14, the scope of their praise. This just impressed me. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. Now listen, I'm going to stop for a second. I want you to consider something as we read. As we think about the scope of their praise, I just want you to do this and think about all the numbers. All the numbers. The congregation. You know, um, 
Last Sunday, I went home from church, and I said, man, the auditorium was full. And the singing is good when the auditorium's full. What a blessing to hear that. And just that, man, it's full. It's, that's 200 people. Imagine heaven. I want you to consider all the numbers as I read. Listen. And I beheld, verse 11, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. Did anybody do the math real quick? What's 10,000 times 10,000? Oh, I don't know either. I know you had a bunch of zeros, right? 100 million. Thank you, Mr. Cameron. 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. I don't even know how to add that. And thousands of thousands. A thousand thousands is a million, right? Just one, but now it's plural. Thousands and thousands. Incredible. Incredible. All these, the Bible says the angels. It says many angels. What possibly could any other angel be doing at that moment? How many, how many of you think, let me just ask you this. How many of you think when there's a church service in heaven, all the angels show up? Well, I certainly would. You know? If there's a church service going on in heaven, the angels likely show up. What, what I'm trying to point out is that there's probably no other angels out doing anything else right now. They're at the throne. The Bible says many of them, millions, millions. Thousands upon thousands. Just the sheer number, the scope of the praise that is taking place. In verse uh, 12 says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. I, I, I wanted to point out to you all the numbers, but I want you to notice, secondly, it's all of nature. Verse 13 says, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all the uh, dolphins and sharks and whales praising God. What an amazing thought. Every, how many of you ever watched one of those, those shows? I was, uh, when we were in New Jersey for the, for the summit, we'd go back to our room and we'd crash and lay on the bed for a little while. And uh, I turned on the TV and they had this show on about sharks. And man, it was neat. I, man, it, they were, they were going down the depths and they were looking at these sharks and all different angles and really high-definition cameras. And then while they were down there, they were down, I mean, they were really deep. They said, we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to see some, some animals that you don't normally see. They don't come up. They went deeper. And then they said, we're going to go a little bit deeper. And they went down deeper. And it was dark and dark and dark and dark. And you see these little things glowing and floating around. And I thought, wow, all of them, all of them will praise God. Every last one of them. Things you wouldn't dream of. Things that you'd be scared to death if you ran into. And they're all going to lift their voice in unison and in praise to God. All of nature and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard uh, I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever. We, we see the song of his praise. We see the scope of his praise. Now let me ask you, let me ask you, as we were reading, did you catch some of the things they were saying? Blessing and honor and glory and power 
They're not praising some weak God. He is the lion that prevailed. He is the lamb that was slain, but yea, he is alive forevermore. This is not some weak-kneed false god of wood or stone that people are worshiping. This is all of nature. I mean, he's able to give voices to those little creatures we can't even see in the depths of the ocean. He's able to give them voices that they would praise him. Now think about this. That God that we see in the book of Revelation where every creature on the earth, in heaven, below the earth, and below the sea are lifting their voices in crescendo to give him praise. Let me ask you this. Do you think he can handle your little problem? He is a worthy Savior. That brings me to the point of the message today. We've seen a wonderful sight, God upon his throne. We've learned a little bit about this worthy Savior from the voices of the angels. But let me give you one thing this morning, a wonderful solace. A wonderful solace. Let me give you three things and we'll be done. Number one, the lamb has still prevailed. The lamb has still prevailed. Do you know when this all takes place? John is called up. He meets the Lord on the day, the Lord's day on the Isle of Patmos, and the Lord says, Write what you've seen, and write which is, and write which shall be hereafter. We believe that literally means at the end of the church age, because he gives us the seven churches of Asia, and then he begins to talk about the seals that will be opened during the tribulation period. Now think about this. He said, when does all that take place? I'm going to give you a scholarly answer. I don't know coming soon to a city near you. That's what I believe. It could be any day. It could be imminent. We believe that Jesus, how many of you believe Jesus Christ could come today? The trumpet could sound and we could be caught up. And then it'll start God's clock. Seven years of tribulation, a thousand year millennial reign on this earth. And then final judgment of God. Listen. Here's what I know. At the end of every battle, after every victory has been won, after every trial has been conquered, after every storm has been weathered, after every sorrow and grief has been wept through, God is still on his throne. He's still there. Through your victories, through your losses, whether you win or lose, whether you're licking your wounds or you're coming out triumphant, all of that will come to pass and God is still on his throne. That's, that's what I take from this chapter. When the entire world outside these doors looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, you can be assured of this, God is on his throne. Nobody today, nobody is up in heaven wringing their hands wondering, Who's in control of this mess? You know what they're doing? They're just sitting around the throne night and day saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's no sense of worry or fear because God is in control. 
And here's what I know. God is working all things together for good for them who are the called according to his purpose. He's in control. Well, we worry so much and we fret so much and we get upset so easily. Can I tell you, you have something that the rest of the world does not have. You have an awareness that the God that you love and serve is still on his throne. This is after. I mean, this is in the middle of a tribulation period and and God is on his throne. The lion has still prevailed, or the lamb has still prevailed. The lion is still powerful. He is the Lord. He changeth not. He who raised Lazarus from the dead can take care of our problems. He said, well, I'm in financial trouble. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You may not have a new luxury yacht, but he'll take care of your needs. That's his promise. I'm just trying to encourage you today to remember this. Tomorrow, you're going to open up the newspaper, and you're going to go, oh, man. Here it comes again. There goes another freedom. There goes another legislation. There goes something else I don't like happening in the world today. Can I, can I encourage you maybe look less at the newspaper and look more up here? For your redemption draweth nigh. The lamb has still prevailed. The lion is still powerful. And the Lord is still preeminent. Listen, it may not seem like it, but I want to assure you of this. He is winning. He's winning. I just don't feel like we're winning anybody. No, no, God is winning. And you say, well, how's it going to end? I've read the back of the book, and we win. Amen? I, listen, you say, well, the, I'm worried about global warming. Listen, don't get me wrong. Here's a balance for you. Here's what I think is right. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said to them, you take care of my earth. Take care of the garden. I don't think for a minute we ought to be throwing garbage out the windows and into the ditches. I don't think that. I've been to countries where it's like that. It's filthy, terrible. I think we ought to respect it. But I think we get crazy too. You say, you're not preaching. No, I'm not. It's an opinion. I understand that. And you can take it and throw it out. That's fine. But what, I, what I'm, I'm trying to say is that if, if somebody comes along and says, well, you know, in five years, uh, the earth is going to explode because of emissions and greenhouse gases, I'd be like, I'm not worried about that at all. Because the Bible says it's a world without end. Amen. God's on his throne. You say, oh, but what do you think about uh, how, how we're, we're doing in the Mideast and, and all? Hey, I, you, uh, I weep over those folks in Afghanistan. That breaks my heart. I saw, I saw literally on the news the other night a young girl being dragged off by three or four men. I can't imagine where she is this morning. Breaks my heart. But I know this, God is on his throne. And he's in control. He can protect that little girl. What I'm saying is, this world is not my home. I'm a pilgrim and a sojourner here. And the nation that I call home doesn't have a premier, doesn't have a prime minister, it doesn't have a president. It has the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's where I call home. 
That's where I long to be. Listen, this is just for a time. This is just for a time. And if if this comforts you at all, all the crazy that's going on in the world, they too shall bow their knee to Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I needed the reminder today. I, I get so many questions every day and I see things in the news like everybody else. and People want to know opinions. And Lord, the truth is my opinion matters very, very little in the scope of eternity. Thank you that you're still in control. That you're not worried. That you've not vacated the throne. But Lord, that we can just know that we can go boldly to that throne. It's not a tyrant's throne. It's a throne of grace. Where we can ask for mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So Father, I pray that you just reassure our hearts today. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us. Lord, we, we look at the world around us. Maybe we should stop stressing and start praying more. Just realizing that God is in control. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. What is the greatest thing we can do for our nation? Pray. Pray. If God is in fact on his throne and in control of everything, it's he who we should be talking to more than anybody else. I heard a message just recently from Brother Tony Shirley from Psalm chapter 2. And here's, here's verse 2 of chapter 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Here's God's response. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The Lord just chuckles when man thinks he's bigger than God. When man thinks that he can legislate God out of the picture. When he can kill Christians and push him out of society. God sits in heaven and chuckles and says, you fools. I shall have you in derision, complete confusion, utter chaos. Maybe that's exactly what we see today because of the absence of God in their lives. Would you pray for our country today? I love Canada. I'm thankful for it. And I, like you, am troubled. But can I be honest with you? I've been troubled for years and years and years and years. It's not new. I've been troubled by every government, conservative or liberal. 
we need to pray to the God who is still on his throne. But we also need to be reassured today that God is in control. Maybe there's somebody here today who say, I don't know this God. I need to have a relationship with him. When that time comes and there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands in heaven worshiping his name, I want to be in that number. I want to be among that crowd. How can I get there? We'd be happy to show you what a Bible says. But how you can have eternal life. He was the lamb that was slain and has redeemed us to God. But you must know him personally, Jesus Christ. Can we help you today? Is there one? Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you just slip up your hand? I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call it your name. I promise you that. Is there one? Perhaps a better title for my message today would have been Don't worry. Don't worry. God is in control. Maybe if you've been worrying and fretting, there's a difference between concern and worry. We can be concerned. Let's be reminded that God is in control. He's still on his throne. After all is said and done, we'll see that he had a plan.